0: I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD, and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected, emotional, and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A.
1: Hello, you sentient balls of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and this is the podcast where we attempt to de-pop psychologize mental health and self-care. Today, I wanna talk about how to find a good therapist. If you've been thinking about getting therapy or seeing a counselor, then maybe take a listen here, and I'm just gonna talk about how to find somebody that you vibe with, because it is intimidating to go into a therapist's office because you feel like they're the expert, they are the authority, But the reality is, those first few sessions with a therapist, you are the one interviewing them. You are the one giving them a job. So keep that in mind as you look for a therapist. Now, let's start off with some basic questions. What is the difference between therapy and counseling? Well, the truth is, there's not really a difference. Whether somebody calls themselves a counselor or a therapist, eh, tomato-tomato, really. There might be some instances where people would say, well, you know, career counseling is not therapy. So that's true, right? And the, Or people might say, well, occupational therapy is not counseling. But when we're talking about mental health counseling, we're talking about mental health therapy. So that's kind of how that works. Let's also break down the different types of providers that you might come across because I get this question a lot. What's the difference between a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist? Well, let's start with a psychiatrist. Of all those people that I listed, a psychiatrist is the only one that can prescribe you medication. So a psychiatrist actually goes to medical school with other medical doctors. They are an MD. But instead of you know when they go through medical school, but then instead of going to like a residency and doing extra training for surgery or for podiatry, they actually do their extra training in psychiatry, in mental illness. So they're the people that are going to give you medication. Now you can, I have known psychiatrists that do talk therapy, but the majority of them really don't do therapy or counseling even except for medication counseling, meaning they'll counsel you on what medication is good. Typically, the experience of going to a psychiatrist is this. You go see them for an assessment, which is maybe 45 minutes or an hour. They prescribe you some medication, and then you'll meet with them again a month later for a 15-minute follow-up. And for the most part, all of your sessions with your psychiatrist after that are going to be about 15 minutes. It's just like any other doctor. They pop in. They ask you about the side effects. They ask you how your mood is doing. They adjust your meds or they don't adjust your meds. And then you come back in whatever time period. So a lot of people will have a psychiatrist and a therapist because the psychiatrist is handling the medication and the therapist is handling the actual therapy. So stepping down from a psychiatrist or not, sorry, not stepping down, but going down the list, a psychologist is someone who has gone to college and then they went to get a PhD. So it's like college, and then they did like several more years of schooling, and then they did a postdoc. They went to school for a like long time. And psychologists, many of them do therapy, and psychologists are also the ones that are qualified to do testing. So if you want to be tested for ADHD, autism, any of those types of things, a psychiatrist can diagnose you with mental disorders. A psychologist can diagnose you. And a therapist can diagnose you as well, but a therapist can't do the kinds of assessments that psychologists can do, where you are sitting down and answering a long questionnaire that's getting you know rated and scored, this sort of battery of tests. So oftentimes, you may be in a situation where you go to a psychiatrist, you want medication, they'll say, well, you got to go to a psychologist and get tested and get your diagnosis. So that can be frustrating. And then, of course, we have therapists and counselors. Depending on what state you're in, what country you're in, the laws around how therapists and counselors get their license may be different. I'm in Texas in the United States, and we require a graduate degree for licensed professional therapists and um, licensed professional counselors. And you can verify anyone's license online, and you should. So whenever you're looking at someone, it's always good. And you could just go on Google, honestly, and Google like your state or your country and then say license verification or something like that. And it should bring you up the ability to do that. Okay. So if you're looking for therapy, you're probably looking for a therapist or a counselor, but there are some psychologists that will do therapy as well. So how do you find this person? Well, it depends on if you're going to go through insurance or not. If you're gonna go through insurance, there's a couple of ways you can do it. If you have private health insurance like you do in the US, so, and because I'm in the US, I'm gonna primarily be talking about the US systems that we have to navigate. But if you're outside of the US, I'm still gonna talk about like how to vet somebody, so that that's gonna be helpful for you. Okay, so you're in the US, you're gonna call your insurance and ask them for a list. You could do it that way. You can also go onto websites like Psychology Today and filter by that. You can look online for therapists near you and just ask them if they have that. And then there are lots of other ways that you can look for good therapists. I'm going to give you kind of a little list here. And this list, by the way, you can go onto my website, strugglecare.com, go to the shop and look for the PDF, Finding a Therapist. It's free to download with all this information on it, okay? So, start, we have psychology today. It's one of the oldest and most used therapist search sites. Okay. It allows you to search by area, expertise, and insurance acceptance. If you're looking for low-cost therapy, or you're having trouble affording therapy, I would check out Open Path Psychotherapy Collective. Okay. It's a nonprofit nationwide network of mental health professionals dedicated to providing in-office mental health care at a deeply reduced rate. Okay? Openpathcollective.org is that one. You can also check out the National Alliance on Mental Illness which is N-A-M-I dot org. Therapy for Black Girls is an online space dedicated to encouraging the mental wellness of Black women and girls, which is therapyforblackgirls.org. The Loveland Foundation is committed to showing up for communities of color in unique and powerful ways, focusing particularly on Black women and girls. So check that out at the thelovelandfoundation.org. And then if you are a person of faith, you can look through your various churches or synagogues or communities of faith. If you are a Christian person, there's something called biblicalcounseling.com. You could look through that. And so those are places to start for when you're looking for a therapist. Okay. So what do you do when you pick somebody out? How do you contact them? What do you say? Well, let me make another note about private insurance. You have to know whether your private insurance is what's called a PPO or an HMO, because if it's a PPO, you can go and pick somebody that's on your insurance. If it's an HMO, that means that you have to go to your primary care doctor first and get a referral in order for insurance to cover that. So ask your primary care doctor about that. You can also ask, by the way, the doctors in your life that you trust. If you have a primary care doctor, if you have an OBGYN, ask them for a referral. They often have somebody that they know. So let's talk about what do you actually say when you call this person on the phone. Remember that you are interviewing them, okay? Now, there may be the rare cases where you don't get to choose who you're professional is, but we're going to talk about when you do. Okay. So what's the first thing you do when you call them? You're going to call them up and you're going to say, I lost my notes. Here we go. Hello. Are you currently accepting new clients for individual therapy? If so, let me know what your fee is. If you accept insurance, like what, you know, put your insurance there. If you accept Aetna and if there's a convenient time, we can speak briefly to see if we might be a good fit. Thank you. You can say that on the phone. You can say that via email. Unless you're going through a community organization or you're being assigned a therapist, most private therapists, they should give you a phone call or a free consultation over the phone, okay? And when you get that consultation, when they get a phone call, it's just a short call to ask them some questions. And here's what I would suggest asking. Number one, talk about any scheduling constraints that you have up front. So say, like, hey, I'm wondering if you see clients on the weekends, because that's the only time I have available. Or do you see clients in the evenings? I have a job from 9 to 5. Or do you see clients in the mornings? I have a nighttime shift. Get that out of the way first, because a lot of therapists will have specific schedules, and you would hate to get to the end of all these questions and realize that they can't even see you when you're available, okay? The next question is, what kind of experience do you have with fill-in-the-blank? So these might be identity-related, so with gender identity, with working with stay-at-home moms, or issue-related. What kind of experience do you have working with depression or trauma? And then ask them, in terms of approach, what does a typical session look like? Your next question is, I'm looking to attend therapy for the... And then either tell them the short or long term, okay? And ask them, how long do you typically see clients? Because some therapists work on the short term. They'll say, oh, I usually see clients for, you know, eight sessions, and then we'll be done, Versus someone will say, oh, I usually see them for years. And then it's helpful to end with, you know, do you have any questions for me? Because often that therapist will have some questions for you. This is totally appropriate to ask for a short conversation to ask these questions. Because not every therapist works with every expertise. And you can get a vibe and some answers done there. Okay? So when you go into your first session, typically speaking, you know, that therapist will have some things they want to ask you. They'll want to hear about your life. But you can also ask questions. So don't feel like you have to go in and let them drive. You can go in and say, you know, I have some questions I have for this first session. And here are some things that you can communicate with them. If you've had a therapist before, it's okay to communicate with them. Here are some things that my therapists have done in the past that have been really helpful to me. And here are some things that therapists have done in the past that were very unhelpful or harmful to me. And if you've never had therapy before, maybe just you can talk about your friends. It's helpful when, you know, friends do this or friends don't do this. During therapy, I would like to first focus on, and then I'm going to give you sort of two examples here, and because one of these will be more applicable. You might be telling your therapist, I'd like to focus on exploring the roots of my issues and where they came from and getting some sort of like deep healing. I want to jump right into that. Or you may tell them, I want to focus first on developing coping skills for the present moment because I'm in a lot of distress right now. My biggest concern about therapy is, tell them that, and then ask them, do you engage in professional supervision? So a lot of people will say, ask your therapist if they have a therapist. I understand why the idea that, you know, people should be in their own healing journeys to be any good to help others. However, that's a personal medical question one that your therapist may not feel comfortable answering. It also doesn't really tell you how much work that person has done on themselves. Like Just because they're not currently in therapy doesn't mean they've never been in therapy, doesn't mean they don't have other methods or communities that they're engaging in to continue their work. So asking if they have professional supervision is better. Now, professional supervision is something that is required if you are a new therapist or an intern or something like that. However, most good therapists also engage in what's called peer supervision, where they'll get with other therapists and they will help each other grow. They'll ask about cases. They don't use any of your identifying information, but if they're helping you and they're kind of feeling like, gosh, I don't know what to do about this, they can go to somebody else and go, hey, I've got a, you know, a female in her 20s really struggling with depression. You know, how do you think I should help? And then ask them what their cancellation policy is. You want to know whether this is someone who is going to require you to pay for a session if you miss it. Maybe they have, you know, you can miss one or maybe you have to pay $50. And then also ask them if they offer emergency sessions or phone calls. You may not need it, but it's good to know. So those are questions that I would suggest asking in that first session. Now, if a therapist just isn't the right fit, you know, how do you tell them that? Well, first of all, I am someone who will tell you that it is okay to ghost a therapist. Now, if you want to not ghost a therapist... That's great. Ending a relationship with a therapist is a wonderful opportunity to practice your skills in a safe place. But if the difference between you getting a therapist that works for you and staying with a therapist that doesn't is you're afraid to ghost them, just ghost them and go get somebody that works. If they're not the right fit and you want to address that, you can always just say, thank you so much for your time. I don't think we're a good fit right now, but do you have a recommendation for a similarly experienced therapist that you respect? And I think you're going to find that that will be helpful because maybe they know someone. Let's pause here for a quick word from our sponsors. And then let's come back and talk about how to ask some deeper probing questions that might let you know whether your therapist has any bias that you need to know about.
0: When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, What makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis? It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present, when the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. I've never met a free trial that I didn't like. The problem is, is that I often forget to get out of them before they start charging me. But I don't have that problem since I started using Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, and I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you, up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash struggle. That's rocketmoney.com slash struggle. Rocketmoney.com slash struggle.
1: Welcome back. We're talking about how to find a good therapist. And... I want to get into some questions that I think are going to be helpful to ask someone upfront. Things about religion, things about gender identity, things about medication. Because unfortunately, people have had the experience of working with a therapist that they really liked, that was really helpful, getting six months down the road when their therapist says something that's deeply hurtful, that's deeply prejudiced or biased. So, for example, let's say that you do not want a therapist that is religious. And that's really important to you. Well, here's the issue. If you ask someone, are you religious? They will probably tell you if they are, they aren't. But that doesn't always give you the information that you need. Because I know some therapists that would not say that they are religious, but have like deeply religiously influenced views about life. I also know therapists that are religious, that are incredible therapists, that never bring religion into sessions, that understand the difference between their personal religious beliefs and the goals and workings of a client, that are like way better than even a non-religious therapist. At the end of the day, most of us don't want to know or care what the religion of our therapist is. What we do want to know or care is, can this person do the job we need them to do without their own personal beliefs coming in? So here are two questions that I believe are more helpful in getting you the information that you need. Number one, do you believe that I can fully recover from these symptoms outside of a religious belief or religious practices or religious ideas? That is a much better probing question because people might say to you, "Oh, I don't do you know when I don't bring religion in it at all." But if this person has a personal belief that you can never not be depressed unless you know Jesus, that is going to influence the way that they give you therapy, okay? The second question is, if I said I do not want spiritual concepts to be a part of my therapy, what interventions would you use? And do you think that that would be sufficient to meet my goals? You don't want someone whose only tools in their basket are spiritual tools, if that's not what you're looking for. Now, let's talk about the flip side for a second. Let's say that you are a person of faith and you want to know whether your therapist is going to be prejudiced against that. So here are two, a question and a statement that I think are gonna be helpful. Number one, just how familiar are you with the fill in the blank faith? Open-ended, let them answer. And then the second one would be, I would like for my religion or my spirituality to be either, you can say, respected during our work, Or you might even say incorporated into our work. So pick which one of those are for you. And then the question is, are you equipped for that? And in what ways? So I would like for my religion to be respected during our work. Are you equipped to do that? And what would that look like? I would like for my spirituality to be incorporated into our work. Are you equipped for that? Okay. Next thing, when you are assessing whether somebody has bias or prejudice, against the LGBTQ community, in my experience, it's not enough to say, do you work with gay people? Will you work with transgender people? Are you against XYZ? Because the most conservative therapist that I know would say, oh, yes, I work with anybody. Everyone's welcome here. But they don't mean the same thing that somebody else means when they say that, okay? So here are the two questions that I think are going to be more helpful to you. And here's the reason I say this, y'all. I got my counseling degree at a seminary. So I intimately know the kinds of people that are religiously trained. I am a professional therapist. I know lots of therapists that are not from seminaries. I know those people, like I know therapists. And I can tell you that there are some of these people coming out of religiously trained institutions that you do not want giving you therapy. And there are some people coming out of religious institutions that are much better therapists than, people coming, than somebody coming out of a non-religious place. There are people coming out of non-religious places that have deeply embedded bias and prejudice that they're unaware of around these issues. And there are some coming out that don't. So it's not enough for your own safety. It's not enough to just know, are they or are they not religious? Were they or were they not trained in a religious place? Here is the question that I believe is gonna be much more helpful to you. It's, do you feel I can fully recover from my mental health symptoms without changing my gender identity or my sexuality or my, just like fill in the blank, right? You need an honest answer to that question. Because if you're with somebody that at the end of the day is gonna bring it back to, well, I really think that, you know, you're not gay. It's really just the abuse. You need to know that up front. Okay. The second question, how will we work on managing my symptoms while still honoring my gender identity or my sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. Make them get specific with you because someone who does not know how to do that will not be able to answer that question. Okay. And then the last question I think is helpful is to ask somebody, what is your view of psychotropic medication? Or what is your view of psychiatric medication? Or what is your view of taking medication for mental health symptoms? Because y'all, some people have some wacky ideas. Some therapists have some weird ideas about mental health medication. And that's something you want to know before you go in. I have another worksheet on my In that packet of finding a therapist that talks about therapist qualities that I think is helpful to take to your therapist, it's about what kind of therapist do you prefer? It allows you to rate your preferences, things about, do you want someone that mostly listens or someone that leads the conversation? Do you want someone to help you discover things for yourself or to tell it to you straight? Would you rather have someone understand you or challenge you? Do you like it when a therapist relates to you about their own life or does that make you uncomfortable? Do you want to focus on healing the past or do you want to focus on developing new skills? And then lastly, some people like it when their therapist shows them that they care. And some people are deeply uncomfortable if their therapist gets emotional. And good therapists can do both of those things or all of those things or some of those things. It's just so if you're with a therapist and they get emotional and that's uncomfortable, you don't have to break it off with that therapist. Oh, that doesn't work. She gets emotional. Good therapists can meet you where you are and change their approach depending on what you need. So we have to communicate with our therapists. A therapist at the end of the day is not an expert there to tell you what to do or give you advice. A therapist is a practice relationship with someone who is paid to put their own shit aside so that they can accurately reflect to you what you are going through, what you are feeling, and give you the arena to work some, self, some stuff out. So... It's a safe place to practice saying, hey, I didn't like that you said that. It's a safe place to practice saying, you know, I wish we would go in this direction. Give that therapist a chance to, you know, shift to a different thing. But it's helpful to take this sheet in at the beginning and say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. So I want to end this by giving you guys just some safety resources, some things to know about. Particularly, these are going to be USA resources. I'm just not familiar with ones in other countries. And so if you are in a place where you need safety now for you or your children, you're in a domestic violence situation, there is a 24-hour phone hotline, chat hotline. If you call 1-800-799-7233. If you're under 18 and you don't know where to go for help, you need a place to stay, you need counseling services, you can text SAFE with your address, city and state, to 44357. The Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network is America's largest anti-sexual violence organization. If you've been assaulted and you need help, you can call their hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 656-HOPE. The Lifeline suicide help number is 1-800-273-8255. They provide 24-7 free and confidential support to people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones and best practices for professionals as well. The Trevor Project is a chat, text, and phone support line for LGBTQ youth in crisis. They also offer peer programs and resources. You can check them out at thetrevorproject.com. Next Distro is an online and mail-based harm reduction service designed to reduce the opioid overdose death rate, prevent injection-related disease transmission, and improve the lives of those who use drugs. You can check them out at nextdistro.org. They will send you Narcan in the mail and other harm reduction supplies. Never use alone. If you are going to use drugs by yourself, call them. You will be asked for your first name, location, and the number you're calling from, an operator will stay on the line with you while you use. And if you stop responding after using, an operator will notify emergency services of an unresponsive person, quote unquote, at your location. They are at neverusealone.com or you can call them at 800-484-3731. Stay safe out there, you beautiful people. Stay safe. Until next time.